We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet. Inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded. All right, Panthers fans, welcome to another edition of the Roar Podcast. We are joined uh, tonight by a special guest from Cover 2 Broncos and at Mile High Report, it's Joe Rouse. Uh, he writes for the Broncos and uh, does a lot of good analysis on the Denver side. Uh, Billy and I are, are pleased to be joined by Joe tonight. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, man. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. And of course, it, we're lucky to be playing another game this week. It looks like we got a lot of activity on the the COVID side from the Panthers in, and I know that uh, Denver just came off quite an interesting run of, of of COVID troubles of their own on the quarterback side. I guess let's just start there. Talk about uh, I guess the last two weeks for this Broncos team. Uh, of course, what they dealt with going into that Saints game with the quarterback situation and uh, Kendall Hinton having to play. And then last week, coming back impressively and almost taking down the Chiefs. Where do you think this team is 
trending moving forward. Yeah, it was – it's been kind of an interesting three weeks just because the Broncos kind of upset Miami and they kind of laid the blueprint down for a potential offensive game plan to really kind of build on only to lose all their quarterbacks at the last minute against the Saints. Uh, part of it was just Jeff Driscoll came up on the COVID list, but they were in a meeting together. And then because the, the players didn't all have their masks on, the NFL ruled that they were all considered high risk. And so the game went on without a hitch, but the Broncos had to find a quarterback and they had no quarterbacks available. So they signed a practice squad receiver who had played quarterback his freshman year in college. Uh, it went exactly how you expected it to go. Uh, it was actually really interesting because I, I didn't know how they were going to be able to kind of come back from that to rebuild the game plan to try and knock off the Chiefs. But to their credit, they basically almost did it. Um, and the game plan, it, they looked fairly similar to what they did against Miami. Uh, not quite as much pin and pull, but in terms of kind of ground and pound, play action, control the ball, protect the quarterback as much as you can, and then just play defense. So it's been an interesting couple weeks for sure. Uh, I think in terms of overall, um, kind of have to wait and see how these last four games go. Uh, I think the Broncos I, – I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me – you look at the Broncos and it looks like they basically, they, they had a defense in a running game that was capable of playing with the chiefs. They just, they had maybe four or five plays that didn't go their way. And then they just had limitations at the quarterback position. Yeah. And let's stick with that quarterback position, Joe. What is a situation like for Drew Locke? Uh, I know Denver went into this offseason building around him. They drafted Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Uh, they, re-signed Garrett Bowles recently so they've put together uh, and obviously I, I forgot to mention they hired Pat Shermer uh, for however well we think he's doing but I think the perception especially on the outside is that this offseason was tailored for Denver to really figure out if Drew Locke is a franchise quarterback and we're now 13 weeks through the season what has been your evaluation of him and do you think he has a chance to be the long-term answer for this franchise well I think the outside perception is right in the money uh basically all season long I've I've said this entire season the only thing that really matters is Locke because they went into the season basically trying to eliminate every single mistake you could or every single excuse you could for why Drew Locke would fail so like if he failed it was on him and granted, injuries, COVID, everything else has kind of gotten in the way of that to a degree. But I do think the Broncos, in terms of a plan, the plan made sense. They did everything they could to put him in a position to succeed and to properly evaluate what he can do to kind of go from there because then they can kind of see, do, do we need another quarterback next year? Uh, in terms of where I'm at with it, I need to see more of these next four games to think, to feel comfortable going forward with Locke as an unquestioned starter. Uh, if it's up to me at this point, I would say if the season ended today and the Broncos have a, have a, an, a bit, the ability to draft a quarterback, I would probably look to do so. And uh, Joe, we're continuing with uh, Joe Rouse here, uh, Broncos analyst and insider. Joe, uh, talk to us about, this receiving core, of course, the, the tight ends as well, but, but particularly Jerry Judy in his first season, uh, looking impressive at times. Uh, 
What type of difficulty do, does this particular group, not only from the receiving core, but from the tight end core, present in terms of uh, coverages for an opposing defense? Yeah. Uh, well, Jerry Judy, I mean, he's as advertised in terms of his route running. Uh, he's had some issues early in the season with catches. Uh, he had a couple drops. But, again, this if you watch a lot of his Alabama tape, it's not altogether surprising that he had a couple drops, stuff like that. Uh, the biggest issue he's had in recent weeks is just kind of connecting with Locke because Shermer doesn't necessarily design his offense to get one person open. He doesn't scheme receivers open so much as he puts it on the quarterback to find the cover, like find who is open against the coverage. And Locke doesn't always find Judy. So, but in terms of like how it presents an issue for the Panthers, I would say what makes the receiving core of the Broncos so difficult is that they kind of have a skill, like, they have a little bit of everything. Tim Patrick, I know he's not a big name, but he's six foot four, 205 to 210 pounds. He's kind of your prototypical X receiver where he can win above the rim. He's not necessarily super quick or shifty, but he's fast enough in a straight line and he's pretty good on comeback routes. And the Broncos have started to feature him more and more. Uh, Pat Shermer does like to throw ISO fades into the red zone. And Tim Patrick's probably their best receiver for those. Uh, the other guy who really has started to come on, especially in recent weeks, is KJ Hamler. His role, he actually played more snaps last week than uh, than Jerry Judy, I believe. And he's just he's playing a lot in the slot. They're using him on shifts. They're using him as a jet sweep guy. Uh, he's made some tough catches. It's not really his game to catch catch the ball above the rim, uh, just because he's so small. His catch radius is kind of kind of limited by it. But he's really really difficult to to defend one on one. And he's, he's done the little things, and that's really stood out to me. Uh, in terms of the tight end group, the Broncos lost Albert O earlier this season, so they're down essentially to Noah Fant, Nick Vanette, who's more of a blocker, but he will he'll catch the occasional ball, but he's mostly a blocker. And then they have Troy Fumagalli and Andrew Beck. Andrew Beck is kind of a fullback. He'll play some H-back, play a little bit tight end, mostly fullback. Uh, Troy Fumagalli is mostly a guy. Um, Noah Fant, he's playing through an injury, but he, he is an athletic mismatch, and he could present issues. Just because, again, he's a four-five athlete and he's six foot four, six foot. You know, he's he can run, he can move, he's big, he can play bully ball. He's not really a great blocker. Um, he's he's an effort blocker, but he's not a good blocker. So if they leave him against Brian Burns, that could definitely be an issue. Yeah, I mean, just speaking to this match, I mean, just looking forward to it. And obviously, we don't know the situation um, with the Panthers and how they're addressing COVID. It looks like Derek Brown is on the list, but. Um, I, again, I can't be too sure. For Carolina, at least, their defense is it's set up in a way to prevent explosive plays. And John and I have gone over this at length. And when I look at the Broncos receiving core in particular, like you mentioned, Judy, Hamler, um, Patrick, and even Noah Fant, and their running backs, uh, I'm not sure how much they use them in the past game. But yeah, for me, I'm not too worried about those guys going over the top because – Carolina should uh, be prepared for that. What I'm mostly worried about, especially in this game, is if Denver starts becoming a little more – if Drew Locke is taking what the defense gives him, essentially, because there's going to be openings in the middle of the field and even the short game if he decides to check down if one of the running backs decides to have a big game in that regard. My question for you is – is that something that you've seen from this offense to where if they're not connecting with the receivers that potentially 
the tight ends and running backs can really become a big factor in the game because those are areas where I think Carolina's defense will um, it will allow Denver's offense to gain yards down the field. Yeah, and that's that's definitely one of those things where I'm I'm looking to see if Locke is able to do that because that has been an issue up until now. Uh, the Miami game, he did a good job. They again in the last couple of weeks, they've really de-emphasized drop back passing altogether. Uh, against Miami, not as much, but against the Chiefs, uh, outside of two minute situations against the Chiefs, so like the last two minutes of the first half, the last two minutes of the end of the game situations, uh, uh, sixteen of twenty of Drew Locke's attempts came off of either play action or with some sort of motion. Uh, most of it was play action. And from there, basically both games, it's basically been boot action, a lot of rollouts, and Locke will have somebody coming across from the backside that's deeper or a tight end right in front of him. He'll take the tight ends. Like he, he's shown a lot of progress there because in the early part of the season, he wasn't even doing that. But, I mean, he'll miss open checkdowns. All like, He's done it throughout this season. So it is one of those things where I'm really looking to see if he's able to do that because I expect the, I expect the Panthers to take away the deep shots. Um, and I do think Noah Fant and I do think Melvin Gordon is a – Melvin Gordon's not a special receiver, but he's a viable outlet receiver. Uh, but Noah Fant could make some, some problems after the catch if he gets the ball in space. K.J. Hamler is quite good in space if he can get the ball. But, but Drew Locke is he, – he struggled with it, and it's out of this point where Pat Shermer started to take a lot of horizontal leading routes out of the playbook altogether. Uh, the Broncos, as of now – or last I talked – I talked to Seth Galina before the Chiefs game uh, from PFF, and according to PFF's numbers – the Broncos attempt horizontal leading throws like meshes, routes, crossers, stuff like that. I think it's 25th in the league. And Locke is basically the last graded quarterback at that stuff. So he's just, he's just not doing a very good job of it. He's a see it, throw it passer. So he does a really poor job of leading receivers if they're not already wide open. And the Broncos have tried to accommodate that, but it's, it's one of those things where that is an issue against this Panthers team. Hey, we're talking to Joe Rouse, uh, Denver Broncos insider, right here on the Roar Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire. Joe, talk to me about this uh, front on the defense for Denver. Of course, Von Miller dealing with an injury. Uh, he's missed extended time now. They'll know about his future in terms of the short term. But uh, at least looking on the surface, I haven't had a chance to look at Denver's tape too much, but just looking at their run defense in particular – like three of the last six weeks, they've given up over 200 on the ground. I know the circumstances were unique against New Orleans for that, obviously with Taysom running uh, you know, the, the rush attack from his end. But can you speak to what the challenges have been for this front seven in terms of defending the run and maybe where they can shine a little bit? Um, are there some strong points that we're missing in terms of maybe the pass rush or any other areas that I'm just not seeing? No, oh, yeah. Uh, so one of the big problems that start – well – like six games as a sample, there, there's kind of a couple of different parts to it. Part of it is the Broncos have started to lose a lot of defensive tackles. Uh, their depth is being tested pretty badly. Uh, Shelby Harris came back last week off the COVID list, and that was the first time he had come back. I think it was in four weeks. Like, so he's missed a big chunk of the season because he was having issues with like a nerve pain. Uh, and then he, so he's their best defensive tackle. They lost Jarrell Casey early in the season. They lost their nose tackle about the middle of the season. So at one point in that stretch, they were down to their Draymond Jones and then basically guys they were picking up off the street and playing. So that's part of it. 
The other thing is the two games against the Chiefs, the Broncos really sold out against the pass. So they kind of just were letting the Chiefs run the ball. Uh, but also, yeah, their run defense has definitely slipped in recent weeks in part because of the depth issues up front. Uh, Alexander Johnson, their middle linebacker, he is an elite run defender. So if, if you're running at him, that's probably going to be a tough, tough out. Josie Jewell has been decent, the other linebacker, but he's, he's decent. He's not, he's not on the same level as Johnson is. Uh, Bradley Chubb has done better. Uh, he's their edge rusher. I, I, he's probably the biggest name on the Broncos front outside of Von Miller now. He's done good. Uh, the Broncos have started to rotate him in into a little bit more off-ball stuff, just as like a, pl- a pressure package type of situation. But he, he's also the best edge rusher. And then Malik Reed, he's kind of an unsung hero because he's an undrafted free agent from last year. But he's, he's capitalized on the opportunities that have kind of come up because a lot of people, if you remember watching Vic Fangio with the Bears – You'll remember that the Bears didn't really blitz much. They played a lot of zone coverage. They just rushed four, and they tried to kind of sit back and let you go the length of the field because they knew they'd win over time. This Broncos team is not like that. Uh, They are quite aggressive. I would expect them to run a lot of stunts. I would expect a lot more blitzing. They'll run some simulated pressures where Alexander Johnson or Josie Jewell will come, but one of the edge rushers will drop off. That usually happens when the Broncos are in base personnel. So if Joe Brady comes out and like uh, with like two backs in the backfield, two tight ends, or anything like that, I could see quite a bit of that. Um, when they go into nickel situations, a lot of times they'll send a nickel blitzer and then they'll drop an edge off the other side. Uh, they'll use Justin Simmons to replace. So, so that's kind of like like Fangio's defense. This is the weirdest Fangio defense I've studied, just because this is the most aggressive Fangio defense I've studied. Uh, I know he did it way back when, but in the time, like since like the 49ers and the Bears, he hasn't really done that. One thing I'm curious about with this defense, especially a few weeks ago when they shut down Miami, what specifically do you, did you see in that game that allowed them to really frustrate that offense? And obviously two is a rookie. So uh, I think there are some similarities between Tua's game and Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, as far as how they like to distribute the football. What did you see in that game that kind of really frustrated Miami? Yeah. Uh, The big thing was the edges were really winning. Uh, Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb just completely pooped on the Miami Dolphins tackles. And I don't know if that's going to happen this time because I think Taylor Moten's pretty good. Uh, They could try and attack the other side perhaps, but I don't think that's going to be quite the same. I do think the Broncos will try and rush more inside uh, just because they, they will use Bradley Chubb on stunts quite a bit where they'll, they'll have him starting outside. Then, you know, obviously move inside with probably Shelby Harris, if he's healthy kind of coming out. Uh, but in terms of like what they did against two that really worked, a lot of it was the simulated pressure stuff. Um, because again, they'll use Justin Simmons as a fill. So they'll send somebody out of the, like off the nickel and they'll have Justin Simmons rotate down. And Tua had a couple different plays where he had a wide open receiver. He just, he was, he was hesitating because he had Simmons creeping and he didn't know if he could get the ball in one time. He did squeeze a ball to Mike Kosicki and he just got blown up because Simmons was right there. Uh, But a lot of it. Yeah. was the edges just completely wrecking the game. Yeah. And I, and I guess um, it remains to be seen. I think Russell Okun, he's been, um, he, he's had issues with injuries throughout the year, mm-hmm. um, but it does look like he will be healthy. And Moton, as you said, he's been 
uh, pretty good. And one more thing I just want to point to, especially we don't know the situation, the status of uh, Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. I, I do expect Samuel to play because it, from the reporting that I've seen, it looks like he was a close contact, which means that he's eligible to play. Uh, DJ Moore, he was already suffering an injury, uh, not too severe, but he was placed in the COVID. I think he actually got it. So he's, um, I, I would say, 99% out. I just need to see some type of confirmation that it that he did actually um, get it. But what is going to be the situation with Denver's secondary? Yeah. Justin Simmons, we know, is an elite safety. He's going to get paid a lot of money this offseason, whether it's by Denver or another franchise. A.J. Boye, he, just, he was recently just suspended, and I'm not even sure what how Kareem Jackson, I think is still playing for them. Yep. yep. Um, Will Parks. I know they claimed him. This is a very interesting unit because it's difficult to play corner in Fangio system. And one guy in particular that I'm, I'm seeing Isaac Yadam, he just, I think he plays for the, um, he plays for another team now. And I know he was not good in Denver, but from what I'm seeing now, he, he looks to be, um, you know, playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's not crossing my mind, which team plays for, but what is it about this secondary that places a lot of stress on them? And how do you expect them to respond? So a lot of it, my understanding, I had uh, I had Cody Alexander, Coach A. He wrote, wrote match quarters on before the season because I really wanted to pick his brain on that because I was kind of struggling to see where the issues were too. And his understanding for what makes Fangio's defense so difficult for corners and for the secondary specifically is uh, the adjustments from week to week. Because he said, in terms of the actual coverage assignments, the coverage assignments, they play a lot of too high, so that helps. Uh, that helps them to disguise. But it's not necessarily that that would be complicated for them. What makes things more complicated is from week to week, they seem to adjust quite a bit to what they're trying to do in terms of like coaching points, how they're adjusting, how they're handing off, stuff like that. So this week actually could be really bad for the Broncos because it's not just that A.J. Boye is suspended. But A.J. Boye is suspended. They lost Bryce Callahan against the Saints, and he might be out for the year. He hurt his foot. He's on injured reserve. He will definitely miss this game. He might not come back at all. Um, they lost Essang Bassey, who is their starting nickel corner, uh, or had become their starting nickel corner as Bryce Callahan moved outside. They lost him against the Chiefs, and he's out for the year. So this week, the Broncos' secondary is Michael Ojemudier, who's, who's played on and off, but he has gotten benched this year by Fangio. And then they're, they're counting on guys, mostly. Uh, Elijah Holder, who's a safety, who plays some nickel. Will Parks, who played – he got benched as a safety last year, but he became a nickel over down the stretch. So I would assume that he'll be a nickel. Duke Dawson. Um, and then at that point, you're kind of just really stretching uh, to find guys. So I would expect the Broncos to count on Devontae Bosby. I don't know if you watched the AAF. But Devontae Bosby was actually a really, really good corner in the AAF. He had a couple moments last year, and then he got hurt against the Chargers. And then this year, he he started camp. He was People considered him the third-string corner, but then he ended up on the practice squad. Then at one point, he was on the roster because Boye got hurt. Then he got cut, and then he ended up getting picked up by the Cardinals. Cardinals had him for a week, and then they caught him, and then the Broncos got him back. So... The good news is they have him. The bad news is apparently Fangio must think so little of him that he's been off the roster a couple different times. Uh, 
But in terms of the rest of the secondary, yeah, basically the Broncos will be counting really, really heavily on their safeties to try and clean up. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of coverage busts underneath. I got a question for you about Vic Fangio. He was the first Panthers coordinator in team history down here. And obviously it's kind of a homecoming for him in a lot of ways. Uh, We've seen Vic a couple times uh, in recent years, notably the 49ers game uh, twice actually in 2013 with two great defensive battles against that defense. But on a broader scale here, where is Vic with this team right now? Do you think obviously He's fairly early in his tenure, uh, but the results are, are slowly, I guess, not coming in as fast as fans would like to see. Obviously, there have been some circumstances that have been difficult at times. Do you feel like Vic is secure moving forward? So I think it was last week. There was actually a rumor. Some, someone started a rumor that Vic Fangio could get fired after the year. Uh, that was quickly kind of kiboshed by a bunch of the kind of the insiders who who said that they talked to somebody and said who is, he's about as safe as it gets. So we'll see. Again, there's four games left. Uh, I know for, I can't speak for all Broncos country, but I know for me, the fact that Vic Fangio has kind of kept the team afloat as much as he has even, as they've had six quarterbacks over his tenure, uh, I'm cool with it. Like the Broncos defense, again, they, they might fall off a lot without a secondary now, but the Broncos defense has been consistently good for the last two years, even as Vic Fangio had one last year, he made it for the better part of the year without Bradley Chubb this year. He didn't have Von Miller for any of it. He lost his best defense, his second best defensive tackle. So the, the amount of like issues and quarterback problems that Vic has had, I think that he's done a pretty good job. I want to give him another year and see maybe if the quarterback position gets better and kind of see what happens. Uh, because he knows defense. And honestly, you watch that, that game against the Chiefs. There's clearly good coaches in Denver. It's just a matter of kind of execution. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor the job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Right now, go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. I understand. I think Vic is arguably the best defensive mind in the NFL that we have. I mean, outside of maybe Bill Belichick. <laughs> but, you know, you know for me, it, it's going to be a fascinating game. And we at Blue Wire are sponsored by BetOnline. And unfortunately, this game is not on the board. Uh, Due to the COVID uncertainty, Christian McCaffrey did not practice today. It's looking like he's not going to be able to play, um, which has been um, sort of the trend the entire year. 
but this these two franchises obviously have some recent history uh, going back to 2012 when Peyton Manning came in here with uh, John Fox and John Fox obviously spent plenty of time with this organization um, speaking about the Carolina Panthers and uh, that was a pretty good game Cam Newton was in the second year and obviously not we're not gonna discuss the 2015 Super Bowl uh, especially John I know that was a very hard Let's day not for do me. that today <laughs> Uh, and then 2016, another really good game. Uh, Gary Kubiak and uh, the Broncos uh, beat Carolina at the last second with a missed field goal by Graham Gano. So there's history between these two franchises. Obviously, it doesn't come close to any type of rivalry or anything. But I guess my question is, where do you see this game going? I have, and I'll get to my prediction. Then, John, you'll get to yours after that. So all the uncertainty makes it really hard to say because I think if Curtis Samuel plays as well as Robbie Anderson, it's going to present a lot of issues for the Broncos defense without their corners. I do think the COVID issues on defense gives the Broncos the ability to control the clock because I think what they want to do is take the ball out of Drew Locke's hands as much as possible and just put him in basically like rookie mode, like, basically where the only passes he has to complete are the easiest passes you can draw up. <laughs> um, and even then, like, I don't know if they have faith that he'll, he'll do it, but I think that they're going to try and do that. I think if they can avoid long yardage situations, I think they can win, but I think it'll be close. Um, so I would give them like a three point win for the Broncos, but I could see any outcome towards the Panthers as feasible as well. Yeah, and for me, I'm going to – and, John, I want you to do the same thing. Is I'm going to assume that Curtis Samuel will play. I, I, I think it's very likely that DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey will not play. And, John and I, we have seen this offense without Curtis Samuel in particular, and it was a disaster. They played against Chicago, and Chicago is a very good defense. I don't want to take anything away from them, but they couldn't move the ball very efficiently like they have throughout the year. So, if I, I do think that if – Samuel and Anderson do play. There's gonna they have to find another receiver, right? Most notably it'd probably be Brandon Zostra. Um, but you know, Carolina, this is gonna be a first test for them because uh, under Ron Rivera, this team uh beginning his tenure, they were not very good at, after the bye weeks. Um uh, that eventually changed. But this is the first opportunity that we have with this new coaching staff to see how they'll do after the bye. Kansas City is playing a consecutive road game and they are traveling for a one PM start so with all that being said i do think this game will be pretty close uh these teams are four and eight for a record i think and uh, certainly some of the personnel that carolina is missing will not uh help uh, but i'm gonna trust that these guys they prepared for this game and this opportunity for a couple weeks so i'll go 23 20 carolina um john i'm interested in your take yeah you know i i I have a hard time with it because, you know, if Curtis does play, and I'm going to work under that assumption too, I think he and Robbie can do some dynamic things together. You know, it's, it's hard with DJ if he's going to be out because he's been on a bit of a tear lately. And as we know, Bridgewater has missed a couple shots, obvious shots, the more that could have really uh, padded his stats even more. So DJ's doing good work. Uh, McCaffrey, obviously, you know, is not going to play. And I, I know that's 
at least the, the all in, it looks very unlikely he's going to play based on Matt's rules comments today. That's tough for him because, you know, his dad played in Denver and he was looking forward to this game as much as any. But I think, you know, back at home, it gives Carolina a chance to regroup. That was a tough loss a couple weeks ago, Billy, at uh, Minnesota. You know, obviously they were in a competitive position all throughout this stretch where they're thinking, you know, playoffs aren't realistic, but they're still kind of in the mix in that Minnesota game. And to lose the way they did, I think it, it's very disappointing. So obviously with the COVID issues, um, from a, I guess a preparation standpoint, they're locked in, they're focused. I just worry about the run defense with, with some of the numbers they're missing up front, uh, potentially with the, some of their core guys on the interior missing, not only from the first level, but from the second level. And we see what Denver w- was able to do in recent weeks here in terms of the running game, especially last week. So uh, I think Vic Fangio presents challenges in terms of uh, every time he plays Carolina, it seems, whether it's with the John Fox's staff in Chicago or with Denver or with Harbaugh in San Francisco, it's always like a 9, 12, 15-point output. It's so frustrating playing against this guy defensively. So I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think like it may 2017, I could swing either way on this. Uh, I really don't have a pick either way, but I think it'll be like a 2017 Denver or Carolina. Uh, Joe, really appreciate your time. Let me get some plugs in for you. Where can we find your work and uh, where can we direct our listeners here to uh, follow you? Yeah, so I talk about the Broncos at milehighreport.com. So if you ever want to hear about the Broncos, maybe we'll find a quarterback at some point and then it'll be exciting. Um, (laughs) I also, uh, I talk about the Broncos at cover two Broncos. uh, And then I, you can also find me on Twitter at Joro underscore NFL. Occasionally I also like to talk about good NFL teams. So that might be fun for you too. (laughs) Yeah. Joe does some great work with the draft too. I can endorse that. Awesome. Well, Joe Ross, we appreciate you, man. Uh, and be well, be safe out there, and, and continued success. And we'll, we'll keep following your work, my man. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great night, guys. No problem. You too, buddy. Uh, catch us next time. Billy Marshall, John Ellis, right here on the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player coaching prompts, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-on bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 